Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. My name is Emma Doyle, and I have the pleasure of interviewing today Stephanie Angelo. Stephanie is uh, just a fabulous person. We've already connected once, and I enjoyed our conversation so much that I thought I have to get her on the show. She speaks about company culture, and she's a trainer, she's a consultant, she's worked with organizations all over the United States, and I just can't wait to talk to you about culture and coaching and the future of especially culture in the hybrid workplace. I'm sure we'll get there. Anyway, Stephanie, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Emma. it's good to see you again. All right. So we're going to get into it. The first question. Now, I don't know if you've been to Australia or not, but it is the Vegemite question. You either love it or you strongly dislike it. Have you tried it? I have not tried it. I've heard about it. I think it's a spread that you get in a jar, something like that. You know, it was very famous in a song, of course, very, very, a lot of years ago. You were probably just a toddler at the time. <laughs> but we do, whenever I'm, whenever I miss home, I always break out and start singing uh, my Vegemite sandwich song. But uh, I won't do that because I'm a much better coach than I am singer. So uh, because you haven't tried it, I'll give you the choice. And I'd actually love your answer for both. So either your worst coaching moment and what was a lesson or two or your best coaching moment. What, what do you... Which way do you want to go? Well, let's start with the positive. I think that actually one of my favorite coaching moments was I used to work at a fixed-based operation. And we had a general manager who was just the coolest guy. He had big blue eyes and short blonde hair and this kind of like cropped beard and always was smiling and bright-eyed and twinkling and that kind of thing. And honestly, he looked to me just like I think Santa would have looked like when he was 38 years old. And this guy was very chill. You just knew that he trusted people to learn and he didn't watch over their shoulder. He didn't micromanage. He had a lot of faith. And that really taught me a lot about coaching and really having faith and trust in people. And I worked in a job where I had to have several phone lines going. I had people standing in front of me. I had a whole lot happening at one time, like an octopus, learning the language of the airport, the whole bit. And about my third day, he came up to me and he stood in front of the desk and he said, Stephanie, how's it going? And I said, oh my God, I'm just getting this crash course in the avionics alphabet and in fuel orders and in catering and all of these different phone lines. And I don't know if I can handle this. And he looked at me, Emma, with this like sparkly eyed and that grin on his face. And he said, Steph, never say crash at an airport. You know, the lesson in that was that you can have a manager who has faith and trust in people that knows that if they make mistakes, but they do it with the best of intentions, that it's okay, you know, and that you can teach people by example. And he did. There was something about the way that he acted that wasn't even deliberate coaching, but it was subliminal. 
And that's what I think is really important because he sets the culture for the organization by just his own example and his own characteristics. And that was really a wonderful, positive, positive lesson for me. So much in it already, Stephanie. We've got faith, we've got trust, we've got best intentions and uh, leading by example and letting it unfold. What about on the flip side, an example the other way? Oh, yeah, lots. I used to work for a general manager, excuse me, he was a CEO of an organization I was the HR manager for. And he would use me as his verbal punching bag. He would bring me into his office. And unfortunately, we had a glass hallway. So his main wall was glass. My office, which was next to him, also had glass. So there was no escaping. It was like being in a fishbowl. So he would see me go by and he'd say, Steph, Steph, come in here. I'd be stuck in front of him and he would scream at me incessantly, nonstop about every other manager in the workplace. And there was really nothing I could do but sit there and listen and try and empathize with him. The other thing that he would do is when we had executive team meetings, he would find somebody inevitably to shriek out and undress verbally in front of everybody. You know, when you really cut people down and you insult them and you say everything that bad about them in front of other people, they feel kind of naked and they feel vulnerable. And I would tell the vice president of human resources about what was happening. And I think that she thought that I was just sort of complaining and grousing about it. And one day after about five months of this, I said, you know, he made Alice cry. And she sat forward and she said, what? And I said, he made Alice cry in front of everybody. And she's like, why didn't I know about this? I said, I have been telling you this for five months. I'm not sure if maybe you thought that I was complaining and you didn't really hear what I was saying about what he's doing to all of the management team, but it's pretty serious stuff. They ended up doing an investigation and it got in lawyers involved in the whole bit and they removed him, but they didn't take him out of the company. They just put him in a position where he didn't supervise people. And they brought in a new CEO to replace him. And people were so shell-shocked by the experience of this predecessor that it took months for the new CEO to really gain trust and to create a new culture and for people to really feel like they could be okay around him. You know, and so that is just one of many stories from that particular CEO, but it it sets the tone for what kind of an organization it was. People were paralyzed. They could not talk. And one of the things that I really talk about when I work with companies is creating a safe environment so that people can talk to you. They can tell you what's going wrong. They can tell you about safety issues. I mean, if there's a potential for safety issue. Let's just use that as an example that could potentially cost your company millions of dollars in lawsuits. Wouldn't you want to know? But if you create an environment where whistleblowers can't come to you and can't let you know about whatever it may be, whether it's a safety issue or something else, you're really setting yourself up to have something pretty disastrous happen. And so I really work with companies to, to really develop that way in which people can be psychologically safe to talk. And I think one of the biggest 
villains to company cultures, Emma, is the culture of stagnation, where people just stop and stand still. And I believe if you stand still long enough, then you really begin to slide backwards until you crash and burn. And I think that stagnation is the biggest villain to cult to company cultures. And so I work with them to slay that villain of stagnation and build these cultures that are built to thrive. Oh, there's just so much I could say about what <laughs> you just said. And I think uh, we're definitely going to take a deeper dive in specific ways of, you know, maybe some examples of creating safe environments because it's so, so important. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, the sliding doors question. Oh, uh there's one story I would say that if I was looking at my life in one way and then it went to something else, it's a really, it, it is actually a highly personal story, Emma, that I will share with you and, and the people that listen to your podcast or see this on YouTube. And that is this very same CEO that I told you used to just scream at people, had me parked in his office one day sitting in a chair. And he was screaming at, so, at me so much. I had an uncomfortable feeling in my clothing that only women can relate to. I'm not going to go into details, but I think that you can understand what I'm alluding to. I was paralyzed. I thought, well, I, I need to get out of here because if I, if I can't get up and leave soon, it's really going to be bad. And what was happening to me, Emma, was that I was under so much stress. I was miscarrying pregnancy. It wow. doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. I know that there are other stories that have happened to people that are really, really horrific. But that for me is a sliding door story where I thought my life was one thing and within minutes was, and, and I never told anybody. It took me years to be able to talk about that story. Mm -hmm. I think my husband and maybe a nurse were the only two people that knew. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for being vulnerable. Uh, and we really appreciate just the honesty of that, because that's what it can do when you get somebody who treats people mm -hmm. in the workplace in this way, the body, the mind and the body are so intrinsically connected that it's amazing how the anxiety and the stress plays out. And I think it's one of the biggest uh, situations that we have in the workplace right now. Yeah. And it's making people understand and, and care that what you do to people matters. You might having an effect on somebody that is huge and you may never know because they can't tell you. And um, I think that we should really be aware of that and thoughtful and mindful of it, that, that the way we treat other people really, really matters. Mm. And it's the words, words with impact. It's not just, you know, the, just because you can't see something physically doesn't mean that it's not not impacting at a deeper level. Um, wow! So uh, sounds like you were able to to make a, a good a good left hand turn there, <laughs> or was it a right hand turn? Either way, either way, it, it was All a recovery right. and eventually, and yes. eventually yes. for sure, yeah. yeah, or a U turn, so to speak. Yeah. All right. Uh, in one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Someone who listens. Well, the whole idea behind coaching is to really, in my mind, my opinion, is to really draw the answers out of people, but not to 
give the answers. You know, a doctor is here to give you answers. And there are, you know, several professionals out there that are there to give you answers. But a coach is really to help you come up with your own conclusions by drawing them out of you. And the best way to do that is to maybe ask uh, Socratic questions, but then to listen. And I once had a coach of my own who interrupted me constantly kept planting seeds in my mind about her opinion of things. And I could never get a word in edgewise. And I used to shake my head and think, how is it possible that this person is a coach? Because she won't even let me talk. <laughs> and so I think that a coach who listens and allows people to come up with their own conclusions and then takes those conclusions and asks another question and then another and another and another to where they really unpack a situation or to use the metaphor of peeling back the onion, they can do that. Mm -hmm. And then maybe once we've really uncovered as much as we really could, then we know that we're ready to move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, someone who listens is, is really essential. You're mm -hmm. listening beautifully right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just, you're just letting me kind of unveil all these things mm, yes because i want to draw out more of your brilliance in the in the short time we have together so thank you for that our next question is where we ask you to ask us a question i get very curious more so when i talk to introverts like myself than extroverts because for an introvert and many people confuse introverts with shyness they are worlds apart but an introvert, because we get our energy from within, can have a really tough time in situations where there are large groups of people or even four or five people, but they're like right around you all at the same time. And so I really like talking to other introverts and saying, how do you feel in those situations? What do you do to, to, to deal with it? Because I know that I have my own things. And sometimes I have to do sort of a mental preparation when I know I'm going into a situation where there are is going to be like a lot of humanity. It's not that I don't like people. I love people and I love getting to know people, but one at a time, <laughs> you know, unless I'm teaching a workshop or a class, but that's a different environment. They're sort of in one group and I'm maybe at the front of the room or the end of the table or on the stage or what have you. So I just like to talk to people. How do you deal with being an introvert, does it ever trouble you sometimes? And it's been wonderful to have other people reveal to me how they feel in given certain situations. And I encourage all our listeners to check out uh, an interview that I did with Jordan White, who actually coaches in the introverted leader. That's what he does. So on the coaching mm -hmm. podcast, there you have it. Another That'd be a good episode. I think you'd get a lot out of that one as well, Stephanie. That's Super. what it's all about, isn't it? Sharing information and sharing ideas let's uh let's go back then i want to i want to go back to when we were talking earlier about creating this safe environment so we've spoke about asking great questions and allowing people you know i love that concept you're singing to my philosophy about drawing answers out of somebody but how can leaders create some that's the safe space and the and allow for the trust to happen. What are some of the ways that you help companies do that? Well, certainly when you have regular opportunities to have team meetings, rallies, departmental get-togethers, even pizza parties and things like that, to 
always talk about like what the company's mission is, like why do we actually even exist as a company and here's what your role is in that is really, really important. And I can even spew out some statistics on how few companies actually do that and so forth. But one of the things that I did that I'm really, really proud of, in addition to working with organizations on creating a way in which we can have comfortable conversations and elicit information from people, whether it's you know, doing surveys and polls and questionnaires and that kind of thing is, of course, listening and not berating people when they have an opinion that's different from yours. You can certainly get, um, for example, suggestion boxes where if people make suggestions, even if it's something the company cannot do for budget reasons or something, get back to people and say, we really appreciate that suggestion. We can't do it right now, and here's the reason why. But make people know that what they did was appreciated because people hate submitting suggestions or being helpful and then having it like, ah, that didn't even happen. But the thing that I was getting to that I did that I'm really, really proud of, and I'm going to show this box, the radio the podcast listeners can't see it, but the YouTube folks can, is I invented the company culture board game. And this game is... It's a, an integral part of one of my workshops and it can be done in person or virtually. So I have people, I've had people all over the world participate in the workshop and be able to play the game together in all different time zones. The people in Australia were having coffee and just waking up and the people in the United States were having lunch and the people in Germany were eating dinner and getting ready for bed or whatever. But in the game, you have cards. So there's the hourly deck of cards for the hour, hourly non-exempt people. And then there's a deck of card for the salaried exempt people. And there will be things on the backs of the cards that you are to read out loud. And when you read these things, it gives you something to discuss. Now you won't, because of time constraints, maybe discuss every single card, but the ones that really stop and make you think are worthy of discussion, discussing. And the green will make you go forward. The ones in red will make you go backwards or to court or to jail, you know? And, and so it's to get people to talk. And the game was designed to be a very safe space because it's the role of the dice that decides whether you're exempt or you're an hourly person. So the CEO could be hourly and the hourly person could be the CEO. So you get to be in each other's shoes. The other thing that I really love about what I did in, when I designed this game was when something happens to somebody, Emma, like you get thrown in jail. It's the game that does it. It's not a player that does it. So if you've ever played Sorry, for example, my husband can get really mean when he plays Sorry because it, it's, a, it's a very American game. You'll have to play it sometime. <laughs> um, because you can send somebody back to start if you want to. And because obviously the goal is to make it all the way around the board and then get into your safe zone, which is similar with my company culture game. When I designed this, I made it so that the draw of the card makes those decisions. It's no one player that can pick up somebody's piece and move it because now they're occupying that space. So I made it so that it was very friendly and you can laugh at what happens to people, but nobody's deliberately doing anything. Then the whole goal with this game is to be writing down ideas that come from the cards. You know, people will come up with a card, they'll go, I never really thought about that. Or does that happen in our organization? Well, yeah, actually it does. You know, things like that. And so the goal then after we've played the game is to unpack it, 
verbally and talk about what we experienced. And then we create actions for the organization. And I have seen some of the client companies have wonderful successes as organizations as a result of the workshop and the game where their their culture has improved, their communication has improved. One company I worked with came up with three initiatives that they also did outside of the organization. And the CEO told me that after they did that, they increased their customer base by 30%. So there are a lot of benefits and I'm really, really excited and proud of this. Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, I certainly have been a part of a number of different workshops over my many years, but I've never heard of a company culture board game. And it does tap into so many things that I love about it. Obviously, empathy, uh, what's within our control, because often even if somebody in the workplace is having a go at us, that sometimes is not within our control. Like I wonder what's going on for them for them to behaving that way, which is like the, the the role of the dice, isn't it? I mean, the same, it's a similar parallel. And I also just love, tap. I always love tapping into the inner child that lives within all of us, old school things like a board game, like a dice. So thank you and congrats. Could you give it, give me an actual practical example of one of the, the cards? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just pick one at random from the hourly deck. And by the way, all of the cards in the hourly deck are also in the exempt salary deck, but that exempt deck also has about 30 more cards because there are things that leaders have to deal with that hourly people do not. So it helps them learn what each other's life is like. So this one says, employees at this company welcome newcomers and help onboard them move forward for spaces. This one is in here because a lot of companies don't think about having employees help other new employees and how valuable that is. We have seen some cases where employees were new to a company. They're shown, here's your desk. There's your computer. See you later. And that's just a terrible way to start. They they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They don't know who to ask for anything. And it just really sets a tone for being sort of isolated. And so when you have something like this, it, it really gets the company involved and the employees involved in welcoming new people. So that's one example. Let me see if I can find one that might make you go backwards. Employees at this company mock someone's disability, move back three spaces. You know, and you'd be surprised how much of those microaggressions and sometimes even really big overt uh, insults are still happening. You'd be surprised. And I, I thought we we would be far more progressive at this day and age, but we're sadly not in a lot of companies. And so that's one negative card that would make you go backwards. And it gives people an opportunity to talk about maybe some stories that have happened to them. Maybe somebody in a group has a disability and it gives them an opportunity to share what their life is like with the other people, because maybe the other people have never really thought to even ask. What do you think are some of the things that really um, stagnate, in your words, and stifle company culture? I think it's getting really comfortable in what we're doing and this is the way we've always done it and we don't need to change. I think that's a huge problem is allowing us to just get too comfortable in what we've always done being okay. The other thing that I think is a huge problem and 
stagnation causer and outcomes that villain to all companies is when we allow ourselves to get buried under the things that we have to do because of seasonal things in our company. So let's just say, for example, the insurance industry right now is pretty buried under open enrollment because usually, you know, that's coming up in the fall and usually November, December is open enrollment because come January 1st, everybody's got a new insurance plan. There are things like that that are reasonable to say, okay, we can't really do a whole lot about our company culture right now because we're in the thick of this. But when we allow that to continue to be our excuse, that's where we stagnate. That's where the problem is. We need to be able to say, okay, let's get through open enrollment if that's whatever it is. And then once that does, we're going to put it on the calendar and we're going to make a plan to address this. We're going to bring in a consultant. We're going to do this. We're going to do that and so on. Um, it, it could be something that happens in the summer. Maybe you have a seasonal business like a tourist business. It could be any number of things. But my point being is that we have these things that I have seen many companies use as an excuse, but then they stick with it even when it's over with. Mm. And then before you know it, that thing comes up again. You know, the year goes by and that thing comes up again and we've done nothing. So we have allowed that villain of stagnation to control us rather than slaying it. And then taking action. I love that you said at the end of the game, it is about acting on these things that have come up through the discussion, which is which is super cool. All right, I'm going to throw this one at you. We have half our audience, a lot of sports coaches on the line. So let's say a Division One college team has just fired their head coach because that head coach was the one that you were talking about earlier, just yelling and abusing their, their athletes. So the new coach comes in. Is it possible to turn team culture around quickly? And if so, how do you do it? Well, I think you landed on a really interesting word because you used the word quickly. And I think that that can be a little bit dangerous because we don't have a magic wand. And I talk to companies about this too. So whether it's an athletic team or a company or anything else, you cannot really expect to come in and make, wave your magic wand and all of a sudden everything is cured. Just like when we had that new, new CEO at the company I was, I said it took about three months for people to sort of feel like they weren't walking on eggshells anymore. So I would just take a second back from that particular word and say, can you help this team recover? You sure can. I think that people produce better when they don't feel like they're under threat. I think athletes do better when they don't feel like they are under threat. When you're screaming at somebody, I think that that, that has such an effect on tightening muscles and tightening up their headspace that they can't perform well. I think that helping people to relax into what they do and give it their best self. That's when they run the fastest. That's when they throw the farthest or hit the ball the hardest, in my opinion. So I think that the only thing that we need to be careful of is that we cannot expect an overnight change. I don't think the players can expect an overnight change in that they, they can't expect a new coach to come in and tomorrow everything's cured and better. I don't think it's fair of the players to have that expectation. And the corollary is that coach can't expect 
I've walked in the door and presto, this team is going to be magically better. That's just not realistic. It's not. And it, it, it was a, yeah, that's why it was, I was a cheeky question because, you know, you miss out on all the rapport building and the trust <laughs> that a lot of the time can't be built overnight, but it can happen with small incremental daily steps where people are held accountable. Um, For sure. So. Your team has to know they can trust you and they they need to see the way you perform as a coach over time. And especially when your coaching is maybe maybe question or tried or, you know, something happens. Maybe there's, you know, something that happens with another team or a call from an, a, a, an, an official or something like that. And your your players are watching you. They're watching how you handle that. And those behaviors are what's going to build their trust in you mm. and to use your words gain traction not transaction exactly I love that I love yeah. that I know you do a lot of speaking and especially around obviously company culture what do you think makes a great speaker I think a great speaker is someone who understands they don't have to say everything and a seasoned speaker told me that 20 years ago when I was first starting out. And it took me a while to really understand what they meant. So we pack in all this content and we feel like we're cheated if we don't get to say it all. And that's so far from true. You, you don't have to say everything and you have to, going back to the listening, allow your audiences to participate and to be a part of it. I think that's what makes a great speaker. Mm, sometimes less is more and the power of the pause creates space for the people listening to the speaker to take away their own insights as well, doesn't it? That's something I've had to work really hard on. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. And the last one I wanted your opinion on, one of my favourite Gandhi quotes is, there go my people, I must follow them for I am their leader. How does that quote resonate as it relates to company culture from your lens cap? I think that when the leader has shown like that one manager I told you I had at the airport that you can trust your people. They know what they need to do and you don't have to micromanage them. Then you really can let them go and you can follow metaphorically or even literally and see them in action. And I think that that proves, in fact, it goes back to a training method. I don't really have a lot of time to, to tell you about, but it's in in one of my workshops called See One, Do One, Teach One, where it really is a demonstration of how well the people that you lead have actually learned. So I think that that's the sign of a really good leader is somebody who can follow the people that they have led because they've led them that well. And peer training, when we, the minute we have to teach somebody else something, we, we do so much more to understand the information and absorb it. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, so many great through lines for this episode. I appreciate you for making me a better coach and I really enjoyed listening to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Emma. I really appreciate that you invited me. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by Transition Coach for Athletes, a global coaching, mentoring, and U.S. placement service. The service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fitness performance. Visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com. That's the number four.